This is a YCF special. Good morning, and again, welcome to Calvary. I'm so glad and blessed to be here with all of you this morning. Uh, I know Matt just prayed, but as we're talking about fearless, and Chris was coming up here saying announcements make me nervous. Yeah, preaching can make people nervous as well. I think that that's one of the top-ranked fears is public speaking, right? So uh, if not for any of your sake, for my sake, and definitely come before the Lord if we can pray yet again. Heavenly Father, as we gather, and I just pray that everything that we've been singing, everything that we've been speaking, just all of the relationships that are being built, the encouragement that's happening here, uh, just from the life groups this morning and just the fellowship this morning, Lord, I pray that all of it is just a sweet aroma to you, that all of it just brings gladness to your heart to see your children coming together, of going through life together, Lord, and I pray that as we get into your word, that it would be a word that's timely for all of us, that we would come to know more of you and more of who we are in you. And as we're going through this series on fear less, that we would fear less and that we would be more faithful, that we'd be more full of faith because we know that you are such a good, good father and that you are almighty and that you are powerful to save. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and I pray all of this in your name. Amen. All right, so as we're looking at fearless, I think one of the biggest fears and that faced all of us, and it faced me since I was a little kid, I used to struggle going to sleep. I think that my mom thought that I just was full of questions and stuff, but every single night what would happen is they'd turn off the lights and they'd go do whatever adults do because they stay awake and I'm just in my room and I'm terrified because I'm thinking, I'm. I don't want to die. Like I learned what death was and I was like, I'm so scared of death. And I didn't even want to go to sleep because I'm like, what happens if I close my eyes and I just never come back to life? Like I was a little kid and for years this was happening. For years this gripped me, this fear of death. And that coming back into the church, when I came back into the church, one of the scriptures that I was so glad to learn because it released me from that fear when I came to know what it was and to take hold of it by faith was Hebrews 2.14. says, Now since the children have flesh and blood, speaking of us, we have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, speaking of Jesus, coming down to walk this life as a man, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Amen to that. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And that's something that scriptures point out, is that as humanity, if this world is all that we have and this world is all that we're focused on, then death is a really bad thing because it's coming for all of us. It's a hundred for a hundred, right? It's coming. And the fear of that, and I got to build up everything that I got to build up right here and right now, and just everything becomes that focused and becomes self-focused. And Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 become God-focused. Let me teach you the realities of God. Let me teach you the realities of eternal life and what Jesus came to offer, that why he shed his blood and why he was beat is for the healing and the forgiveness for us so that we wouldn't need to fear death, but that we could trust God and know that by the resurrection of Jesus, 
that death isn't the end for us, that the good news of the gospel is a resurrection, that it's not just like, oh man, nihilism, we're all here, we're all alive, and then we die and we go in the ground and that's it. But no, we have a good God who created this world for a good purpose and placed us in it, Adam and Eve, for a good purpose to go and spread his will all around the world. And we know that sin came in and death came through sin and Jesus came in to destroy the power of death, to destroy the devil and free us from fear. So I'm really happy for the gospel. I'm really happy for the cross. I'm really happy that we have a good God who saw our condition in sin, who saw the fear and said, I'm not going to leave them like that. I'm going to rescue them. And as we get into Daniel chapter 3, which is a well-known story, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming up against Nebuchadnezzar and his great golden statue, we find that this fear of death comes in for them and that that's what they're facing because there is a threat of death for them. Now, before we get into the points that you have on your sermon notes. We will come around to that. We're going to just throw ourselves into the context and into the story of Daniel 3, and I'm going to plant some seeds in there so that when we circle back around for these points, we'll be able to extract back onto them and build on them. And uh, I'm glad that we have the youth in here for our United service. I'm glad to have you guys joining us in here. Yes. And because, man, Shadow... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, when they came in, they were young men. Pastor Ken was talking about it, that they were young men. So what happened is, I'm going to go back, back, back in time, is that there's the Assyrians, and the Assyrians aren't even who we're talking about in Daniel. In Daniel, we're talking about the Babylonians, but there's the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are a brutal, brutal people, and they come in, and they start taking over all of the Mesopotamian region, and it's a brutal people. It's the first empire that gets built up. It's the first empire that has a standing army that's just war all year long. They're just establishing, and it just takes over the whole map, and they're brutal. Everybody that's under the rule of the Assyrians, the people who live in the kingdom are like, this is too brutal for us. Just the brutality that they showed on their enemies, but the brutality that they showed on the people who even lived there. And the Assyrians, if you go read uh, Jonah, Jonah had a message to Nineveh, that's the Assyrians. You read Nahum, he had a strong message talking about the downfall of the Assyrians. And the downfall of the Assyrians, these brutal, brutal people who took over the whole known world to them, the people that beat them is the Babylonians. So it's not really like, oh, things got better. The Babylonians came in and beat the bad, bad people, and they weren't like, cool, Yahweh, let's live in peace and love. They went, no, we're living by Babylonian gods. The reason we could beat the Assyrians is because our Babylonian gods are so much stronger. And that's what was happening in the ancient world. It wasn't atheism and everything like we have now to where it's everything's secular, everything's government. Back then, Government and God was tied in. Nation and God was tied in. Your tribe went, your tribe went to war. Whoever won, their God was stronger. So when we have Nebuchadnezzar coming in, and he's coming and he starts conquering all of this, in his mindset, he's going, yep, my gods are the strongest gods, and my gods are empowering me to go and take over everything. The gods are giving this all into my hand. And he came in, and he was living brutally, ruling brutally, and he came in, and as Pastor Ken was saying, uh, he went in and he took over Israel, he took over Judah, and there was a lot of death, there was a lot of destruction, it was a brutal war, it was hand-to-hand combat, it was all that stuff, it was brutal, 
And that's Nebuchadnezzar, brutal man. And he comes in, but he wants to take the, the best for himself and he wants to assimilate. So he says, all these royal families, take, take the ones from royalty and bring them in. And even there, it's a power play because he's going to say, oh, you royal families and you guys that were in the priesthood and stuff, worshiping your God, well, now I'm going to bring you into my palace and you're going to obey me and you're going to obey my gods and just completely breaking down. And as Pastor Ken was talking about, what Nebuchadnezzar was doing through that was just stripping them of identity and in stripping them of identity to come in. In chapter 3, we talk so much about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want to say, let's get away from that because that was their slave names. That's what was given to them by Nebuchadnezzar. We still call Daniel, Daniel. I say we should still call these three men, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah, right? Because what it is, is their God-given names, their God-given identity, who they were in Israel serving God. You have Hananiah, meaning Yahweh is gracious. And then you rename him uh, Shadrach, and Shadrach meaning under the command of Aku, the moon god of Babylon. And then you have Mishael, who is like our God? And you rename him Meshach, which is, who's like Aku? Again, that moon god. Then you have Azariah. Is it Yahweh is our help? And then you rename him Abednego, meaning servant of Nebo, the god of wisdom that's there. And you just have this God identity, right? To be able to stay true to who you're named after, who you are, who, what people call you by, and just stripping that away coming into Babylon. And that's what these men were going through. When we look at between chapter 1 to chapter 3, it looks like about 19 years pass. So this is 19 years of them living and keeping that diet of vegetables like Pastor Ken was talking about. And they kept the diet of vegetables because all of the meat that was being offered was being sacrificed to their gods, was being sacrificed to their idols. And these godly men are saying, no, we're not going to take anything that's being offered to idols. We worship Yahweh. We worship the God of our ancestors. We're not going to bow down to any other gods. And they keep this going for like two decades. And as they see this, they're seeing the people that got brought into captivity. And Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah and Daniel, they're in somewhat of this privileged position. They're in the palace and they're being taught in all of these ways. But then they're seeing, again, the brutality for all of their brothers and sisters that have been brought in. And as they're there in Babylon, they get a message from the prophet Jeremiah, which you can go read Jeremiah. It's a book in the Bible. And Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because as he's going, he's trying to say, guys, you've got to turn away from your sins. Please, somebody listen to me. God is good. He'll forgive. You've got to come back. Otherwise, judgment is coming. And it's called the weeping prophet because for 40 years, he went out and he prophesied and he tried to bring the Jewish people back and nobody was turning back to God. So the judgment of Babylon came. But Jeremiah writes a letter to those that are in captivity. So again, just put yourself in the shoes. You're here and all this brutality and this is happening. You receive a message from this prophet that says, all right, here's what the Lord wants you to do. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat the food from the gardens. Take on wives. Have children. And when you have children, have them take on wives and have more children. Don't decrease but increase in the land. Don't weaken, but grow strong. Stay strong and seek the prosperity for the city that you're in because then you too will prosper. 
And if while you're there, there's any of these diviners and people coming and saying that they're speaking on my behalf, meaning Yahweh's behalf, don't listen to them because we already know what the judgment was going to be 70 years in Babylon. So this is what these men are facing. And as they're facing this and as day in, day out, they're being taught the mystical, magical arts in Babylon. They're taught astrology. They're taught all these different gods are. They're taught the magics and they're taught all these things. They're also keeping integrity before Yahweh. And they're holding that with each other. They're keeping accountability with each other. But then something starts happening one day is that, man, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's really full of himself. Again, he's conquering everything. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? And this is after last week what Pastor Ken was talking about, that dream where there was the great statue and there was the golden head and Nebuchadnezzar, his empire was the golden head. And Nebuchadnezzar, so full of himself, says, I'm going to build a statue. I'm going to build a great statue. I'm going to cover the whole thing in gold. Forget just the head being gold. The whole body is going to be gold. My empire, it's going to last forever. So prideful. And this statue that he starts building, which you figure an ancient building project like that's going to take some months. It's going to take some years. So you're there in captivity and you're seeing this thing get built and this is just happening. And this, this statue, by the time it's done, it's 90 feet. So we have a really tall church. And if you look up to the ceiling, you're looking at Nebuchadnezzar's kneecaps. It's 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, which is a really skinny, tall statue. But you have this, and it's all plated in gold, and you see this thing getting built up. And then what you have is because you're not going to build that thing and just have it be for the people that live in the city. So Nebuchadnezzar goes, hey, go and grab everybody from the surrounding areas, everywhere that I've conquered. Go grab the ruling people that I've put in place, which in the scriptures, that's where you get the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and all those things, and come and bring them in. And come and bring them in because I'm going to show that everybody that I've conquered, you're all going to bow down to me, to my statue, to my God. So the word goes out, and again, time is... It takes some time, travel in the ancient world. So you're seeing this thing get erected. Then you're having these people come. You know that there's going to be this great celebration of Nebuchadnezzar. But what's happening in the background? You've got to think that Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel are going, we're not going to bow to this thing, right? We've kept our integrity this long, right? We're not eating the meat given to the idols, right? We're keeping ourselves pure. We're keeping in prayer. We're not going to bow down, right? And you need friends like that that are going to hold you to not bowing down to the things in this world, just what we're singing, because there's a lot of opportunities to bow down to something else that's not God. And man, if you want to talk about a forced thing, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. He came in and he took over your country. Fear of death, threat of death. And you have it. And finally, the, the day is here, and the day is here, and everybody's there. You can see this on the plane. On the plane, there's this 90-foot statue and throngs and thousands of people laid out in front of, standing in front of the, the crowd. The crowd, it's, I can't even picture a crowd that must have been this big other than what I see in movies where they have all the computer animated stuff and it just fills up the whole valley. Something like that. Because again, Nebuchadnezzar wants everybody to come and bow. And what happens, he says, when you hear the music, and he lists off all kinds of different types of instruments, the flutes, the lyres, the drums, the this, the that, Everybody bows down and worships. So what happens? The music goes off. And like a wave, everybody starts bowing down to the statue. Except Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We don't know where Daniel is at this point. 
But we know that three, these three guys, they don't bow down. And that's got to be a hard thing because you're looking at, you know, other Jews are there. Your people are there. They know who God is. And we don't have record of them not bowing down. And that's a hard thing to see your people who have probably been eating some of the meat too and have probably been not keeping as good of an integrity and that when they're commanded to bow down, you see some of your people bowing down and that's got to be a heartbreaking moment. But it doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change your integrity for these three guys. You stay standing. And as you stay standing, some of these Chaldeans, which are also called the astrologers, these are the guys that were working for Nebuchadnezzar that have seen these Jews come into the palace and start ranking up really high. These guys don't like these Jews. And it says that they go and they bring accusations. And the, the word in there is that they want to eat the pieces of them, that they want to chop them up and eat the pieces of these three guys. It's just they want to tear them down. So they go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, hey, you know how you gave that command for everybody to bow down, other, otherwise they'll be thrown into the fire? There's these three, and they're not doing it. There's these three, and they're not doing it. And at this point, I want to get in and read this uh, word for word, starting in verse 13, because it says that, O king, they've refused to serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, furious with rage, summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden statue that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the statue I've made. But if you refuse to worship, you'll be thrown at once into the blazing fiery furnace. Then what God will be able to deliver you from my hands? So Nebuchadnezzar, he can't deal with it. He can't deal with even a little bit of rebellion against him. Just a little bit to come up against him, and he's the greatest, and how dare you not bow down? I tell you who dares. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If the God whom we serve exists, then he is able to deliver us from the blazing fiery furnace and from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you've set up. Sticking with the integrity, sticking with each other, refusing to bow down. What happens as Nebuchadnezzar's face changed? He was furious. He ordered the guards, he said, make the furnace seven times hotter, as if that makes any kind of a difference, right? If the furnace was already going to kill somebody, to make it seven times hotter, what does that do other than just show how angry he was? And he goes, after they made it seven times hotter, he gets these men of valor, his, his soldiers, these guys that would go out to war. These are like his top dogs that he's getting, and he's saying, you guys, go and take them, bind them up, and throw them into the fire. So they bind them up. And as the guards are going, these muscly, strong men that have been in battle, they get close enough to the fire that the fire consumes them. Which I don't know if you guys have been close to a campfire and you have your foot up there and it gets a little hot and you're like, oh no, this fire seven times hotter just being that close. The flames came out. So, again, it's a crazy scene to put yourself in. Imagine being part of the crowd and you're like, hold on, the, the music stopped. There's these three guys, and maybe you're one of the Jews, and you see these three guys, and you know who those three guys are, and they're standing up before the king, and you're going, um, why are they up there? This doesn't seem good. What's happening? And then you see the king get real angry, and the fire is hotter. 
And then maybe you're at a distance, you're not really being able to see, but you just hear these screams of men caught on fire. It's a terrifying scene that these men are facing. It's not just like, oh yeah, let's read the scripture. Oh, they were faced with death. It's like, no, these men were faced with death and the fury of a crazy, enraged king. But they refused to bow. So as they went, what happened is the guards, they caught on fire, and it says that these three men just fell in, right? And they fell into the fire, and as they're in the fire, nothing of their clothing burned. Not a single hair on their head burned. But then King Nebuchadnezzar, he thinks, okay, cool, it's taken care of. But then Nebuchadnezzar looks, and he says to all of his wise men, hold on, didn't we throw three men into that fire? And I said, yeah, king, we sure threw three, three men into that fire. He goes, then why is there four? Then why is there four? Because I'm looking in and I see those three men, but yet I see another who's in the fire who looks like the Son of God. So when we're singing this song, there's another in the fire. There sure was, and there sure can be. And what happens when Nebuchadnezzar sees this? says he approached the door of the blazing fiery furnace and he called out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. His tune sure changed, didn't it? <laughs> Bow down before me, and all of a sudden, oh, you're servants of the Most High. What happens here is Nebuchadnezzar realizes, oh, you're not bowing down to me because you're bowing down to him. And you have Nebuchadnezzar recognizing this, but Nebuchadnezzar, he's recognized this before. At the end of chapter 2, you have that... As King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, paid homage to Daniel and ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him, the king said to Daniel, your God is truly God of the gods and Lord of kings, the revealer of mystery, since you were able to reveal this mystery. He already knows who Yahweh is because Daniel, who worships Yahweh, gave him the revelation of the dream. So it's an interesting thing that somebody can come to know the greatness of God, experience a miracle from God but still not truly bow down to God in submission. See, there's a thing that can happen when you can get conviction, but if that conviction doesn't turn into conversion, what you end up with is a man who is just face down saying, your God is great, building a statue of himself, telling everybody to bow down to it. And that's Nebuchadnezzar. So as they came out, Nebuchadnezzar, yet again, verse 28 says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses reduced to rubble, for there is no other god who can deliver in this way. So remember a second ago he's saying, what kind of God can deliver you from this fire out of my hand? And now he's recognizing there's no other God that can deliver like this. I can tell you that because I didn't know about it before it just happened. But he's still pretty brutal because he's saying, if any of you speak offensively of this God, cut them to pieces and burn down their house into rubble. His heart didn't really change. He just witnessed something that he thought, wow, that, that was an amazing thing. And from there, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And that closes chapter 3. So there's so much in this. Such a well-known story for those of you that grew up in the church or maybe you've been around the church since growing and hearing this because it's such a story to tell. Kind of as we start going through these points on your notes is that what started and what kept 
these three men through, if you just jump in and you go, man, they, they defied the king. Look at their faith. They defied the king. Aren't these three men amazing that they would defy the king and refuse to bow down? Well, that's not where it started, and that's not the point. The point isn't, like I said, that they refused to bow down to the king, which they did. The point is that they always chose to bow down to Yahweh, bow down to God. And what you see is going back to that chapter 1 when we talked that they all got brought in. When they got brought in and they refused to eat the food that was offered up to idols. This is where we get the Daniel fast from. <laughs> and uh, the Daniel fast, me and Delilah did it uh, last year. So you've heard Chris, when Chris comes up here and he, and he gives a story about the ooey gooey butter cake. I'm not sure if you guys heard that when he comes up and Chris is convinced this is like food from God or something. So we go to Tennessee and we go to uh, Paula Dean's restaurant. So I think I saw the trucks with butter just like backing up to the restaurant and that's what the ooey gooey butter cake was. And we're there, so this is, we're in Tennessee. We've never been to Tennessee. I hear that they have good barbecue. I don't know, and Delilah doesn't know either because we were on the Daniel Fast during this time. So Delilah and I are over here eating fruits and nuts. I have pockets full of raisins. And uh, Chris, Justine, Ralph, and Janine, they're over here just eating the best-looking food, right? But we've decided in our hearts, no, for 40 days we're doing the Daniel Fast. So what did we come up against? Do you think that there was no temptation to say, yeah, but you know, we're on vacation. We're only going to be here for a few days. We can break the fast for this and then hop back on it, right? Of course there's temptation to do that kind of thing. Especially when you're sitting in Paula Deen's and like, it's funny, I literally pulled out a raisin from my pocket, stuck it on the plate and grabbed a fork and knife. I was like, oh yeah, look, I'm cutting up my raisin. This is my meal for today. It's so much worse for these three men. And what we need to learn is that the full pressures of an empire that's against their God and against their ways is pressing in on them. And especially for them because they're in the palace. Now, we live in America, and I don't think that America is Babylon. In America, we have the freedom of religion to where we can come and we can gather here and we can sing praise and get into the word, and nobody's coming to throw us into a fire, praise God. But you know what I get from that? Is that if they can keep their integrity in Babylon, we should look at their example and keep our integrity in America. Because their diet, right? We can look at this diet of food, but the thing wasn't the food. The problem isn't meat, right? They weren't just like, oh, we should become vegetarians, like Pastor Ken was saying, because a vegetarian diet is a godly diet. It's like, that's not what it was. This meat was offered up to idols. And we might not think that kind of a thing in America, in a secular world, where nobody's saying, hey, I cooked this in response to my God. You want to come share the barbecue with me, right? But we have a different kind of thing that we consume that I want to point out that's probably much more relevant. And we talk about consuming media and what it is that we're watching, what it is that we're seeing. Who is that glorifying? What is it that you're taking in day by day by the relationships that you hold, by the things that you're watching, by the things that you're hearing, by the things that you're getting involved in in your activities? Is that keeping integrity to God, right? Because there's a whole lot of activities that I can tell you after studying this book and seeing what these ancient gods are, that when you wanna look at all of the lust that's being pushed into this world, and especially for you young people who are growing up on social media and everything else, that everything is so visual and everything, like, I don't know, honestly, for young adults and younger, the things that are so acceptable today, and just like, well, that's just what the world is. It's like, mm, it wasn't how it used to be. 
There used to be some level and standard of morality that was there. There used to be some acknowledgement that, oh, lust isn't good. To keep showing these things isn't good. And Scripture talks about when it comes to the sexual sins, when it comes to lust, that there's nothing else like it. Sexual immorality is always the one that's talked about with idolatry. So what do you think that the devil's putting into play here in our country the most? anything that can get you to fall into lust and sexual immorality. And I talk about the young people, but it's not just for the young people. And there's so many different ways that people can fall into this. And something that I got to say is that to come back into integrity in this, the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of integrity, and what we're learning here from their example is like, I got to be honest. I fell into all kinds of different sins in my life. I was part of the church when I was younger, and then I went off and I did all kinds of stuff. I walked away from God, and I did a lot of things that would be honoring other gods, that would be getting involved with the devil, that would just be bringing sin in on my life, that would be bringing death and destruction to me and those around me. But the story doesn't end there. The great hope of the gospel is that I can come to God and say, God, can you forgive me? I realize that I've done wrong. I'm confessing this to you. I, I see the truth that you're revealing to me is that the lifestyle that I was leading, I wasn't keeping integrity. I was doing whatever I wanted to to gratify me and my desires. I bowed down to anything and everything and wanted other people to bow down to me as well. But God, I don't want that life anymore. I want a life that's pure. I want a life that honors you. I want a life of love. I don't like hurting people anymore. God, can you please? change my life. Can you take this heart that's so hard and against you and give me a heart that's for you? Can you help change my desires that where I used to desire sin, now I'll desire you and holiness? And the God we serve is so good that why am I up here on stage preaching now? Because he did that. He keeps his promises. So if we're here and we've broken integrity, even if it happened this morning, right? Even if it happened while you were sitting here and you're thinking about things that you might want to happen when you get out of here, because I know what the flesh does and I know what our minds can get into and I know what strongholds are, that can happen. It's not, oh, you broke your integrity, you're, you're, you're lost for the rest of your life. It's no, no, no. God can restore integrity and you can begin to walk in integrity. You can begin to walk in a new way that's life-giving. So whereas we can get this example from them is that they didn't break that integrity and they kept that, which shows that it's possible. I think that there's the great hope, and I don't think I know and I've experienced, there's the great hope that we can be restored to integrity. Because if we want to live successful lives, not successful, a lot of money and all the cars and houses and stuff, but successful before God here in America today, we need to have that integrity restored and we need to start walking in that. Now, when we're walking in that integrity, here's the thing about us gathering in church. Church, it really isn't a social club. I don't know if you know that. It's not that we can have a fun thing to do on Sunday mornings. And life groups isn't just so like, man, cool, I didn't have any friends before, and here's some friends, like, because I was kind of lonely when I came to the church. I'm glad I got to meet some people, right? Church, we're coming together because we worship Yahweh and we follow him, and we come to Jesus, and we say, Jesus, you're our Lord, you're our Savior. We're taking on your commands. We're taking you on as a teacher, and you're going to teach us a good and a humble way to live, and we're going to follow after you so that we can become selfless, and that we can love on other people, and that our lives can become love like your life it was, right? And we can do that, but who knows that that's extremely hard to do by yourself, right? Because I, I can want to have all the integrity in the world, 
But there's scripture that talks about if a man is alone, that's a pitiful thing because if you fall down, you have no one there to help you up. So two is good and three is even better. So as we're coming in and looking about when everyone else bows, who's going to be standing next to you? You are going to face situations in your life that the devil, the powers that be, the government even in some cases, or maybe even just friends and societal pressures, and most definitely this thing that we call the flesh that just wants to give in a temptation is going to want you to bow. So for us today as we're gathering, I'm going to say, who's going to be standing next to you? You can pre-decide this thing. You can say, oh man, I don't think I have any relationships with people who hold this kind of integrity and this kind of desire to follow God. Then if you're realizing that right here, right now, then you're in a good group of people that you can go find some friends who will stand next to you. So get involved in a life group. Men, let's go to Kingdom Men on Tuesday nights, which I'm going to say that. Josiah, Sochi, we're doing something different on Tuesday nights. I haven't been able to do it because we've been doing that. Josiah, you're coming with me to Kingdom Men. Ladies, get involved in women-to-women -women discipleship and the women's ministry, what we're doing here. Youth, get plugged in with your leaders and what's going on. Get to know other people here, right? For all of us to get plugged in because we know that if we're by ourselves, we're going to get picked off by the enemy. I don't even need the devil to get involved. If I'm by myself and I isolate, I'm going to self-destruct on my own. Chris, I'm glad for your friendship that you keep me held up in this thing, right? So who's going to be standing next to you? Pre-decide this. Bring them in, grow in these relationships because we need each other. Now, when we're looking at this furnace, this furnace, and I have it there, it's the furnace of persecution and also refined by fire. Because this life that we're called to, if we're serious about it, and if you started to learn in the scriptures about who Jesus is and what he taught, Jesus taught that as we follow him, we will face persecution in this world. And we're going to face persecution because we're going to stand against powers that say that we should oppress people, that we should treat people poorly, that we should bow down to something else other than a God of love, other than the King of Peace, the Prince of Peace, right? We're going to face persecution because whereas the whole tide wants to go in one way, to just have their own way, we're going to stand against that tide and powers that want to have their own way aren't going to like that. And sometimes those powers are friends, our family. When we're looking at this fire that comes, there's a scripture in Luke where Jesus himself says, don't think I came to bring peace. I came to set a fire on this earth. And I wish that the earth was already ablaze with this fire. Because see, when Jesus comes in, he says that I'm going to set in a family of five, two against three and three against two. The father's going to be against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother. For what purpose? Does God not like family? That's not what he's saying. He's saying that people are going to get this thing and get that conviction and get that integrity. And even within a household, you might have to realize that your kids are going in a different direction, but you have to keep the faith when they're not. Or the other way around, maybe you're younger, or maybe not younger, but you have parents who aren't keeping the faith, but as a child, you gotta do that thing. And your parents might not understand, why are you living that way? That's really peculiar, what's going on? So even within our own household, we can face levels of persecution because we're keeping integrity before God. But as we go out into the community and as we go out into society, 
think that we see that the American society is turning more and more against the things of God. The church gets hated on more and more in our society. And I've got to, like, I don't understand that because if anybody who hates on the church comes here and gets to know you guys, what are they hating on? A bunch of friendly people who want to be your family, who know that we're broken and know that we have a good God who can restore us? What is there to hate about us here other than that there's an enemy in the world who hates God and there's some people who are blinded to the fact of God and who are slaves to sin and are slaves to the things in this world and go along with that because they don't know any better. So with this furnace of persecution, we will face persecution, but we're promised that we'd face persecution that if we follow after Jesus, that it's just going to come with the lifestyle. But the, in that I have here 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7 in the notes, in this, in this you greatly rejoice, that though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more precious than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James talks about the same thing. He says, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of various kinds, that they would have their purpose, that you go through perseverance, and it would produce endurance in your lives, an endurance, godly character, right? So when we see that what the world is bringing against as persecution, it's opportunities for us who believe in God and want to follow God to show who God is in those situations. Is it when an enemy comes against you to persecute you and to hate you? Jesus says, love them, bless them, pray for them, and feed them if they're hungry. If they slap you on the cheek, offer them the other one. If they're coming in as the army was in his day, saying, you there, you're going to carry all of my stuff and you're going to walk with me for a mile because I'm in the army, I can tell you what to do. Jesus says, walk with them for two. Don't take offense to these things, but walk in the godly lifestyle so in these things, when we're being faced with these persecutions and we choose to bow down to God and to keep integrity with God and with Jesus, that's refining our lives. In the situation where we would want to respond with anger, someone slaps you on the cheek and you're winding back with more than a slap, right? But you don't. Your character is being refined. You're becoming more Christ-like. This persecution that came against you is an opportunity for God to show what he's put in you and who he's created you to be. See, Jesus paid for something on the cross. And what he paid for was for his spirit to be poured into you, for you to be forgiven and washed clear of all of your sins, and for him to live inside of you. And when these persecutions come, these fires of persecution, it's like a refining fire that Jesus is saying, just trust me. You're going to see who I am in this, and I'm going to show you who you are in me too. And it's hard. It is hard. It can be hard. But again, pre-make these decisions. If you decide now, I'm not going to bow down to any other God. I'm not going to bow down to the things in this world. These things that I might have been watching on here or Netflix or anywhere else, I'm going to choose now that I'm not going to allow those things to come into my eyes anymore. I'm not going to listen to that kind of music anymore. These friends that I was associating with and the things that I would get into with them and the kind of lifestyle that on the weekends I'm getting drunk and all of these things when Scripture tells me not to become drunk with wine, I'm going to have to change some of my life to keep that integrity. And you know what? When you, I went through it, I used to drink and do all kinds of drugs. When I stopped doing that, the friends that I had started making fun of me, trying to pressure me into doing the very things that I stopped getting persecution against that thing. But you know what? I didn't give in to doing the drugs. I didn't give in to doing the drinking. And now I can stand here sober-minded and clear and knowing what I know. And in any aspect of life, God will do that to where he'll bring that in. But it's really important to know that as 
we have there is that some of the things that we face, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, if the God whom we serve exists, he's able to deliver us from this blazing fire furnace and from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king. Even if he does not, even if he does not, let it be known that we're not going to bow down. There are going to be things that we face in this world that through faith, we're going to pray for the best. We're going to pray for deliverance. We're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray for the way out. We're going to pray for God to work in that situation. And the hope in our lives is that during our life, we're going to see this happen, right? And that we're going to see that thing happen. We're going to hope towards that. But sometimes things don't happen the way that we want them to happen from our viewpoint. They just don't. There's, and we're going to get into an example of when those just don't in, in the next point, but sometimes they don't because God is working something greater. And that's where as long as we keep the faith, even though it might seem like a knock against us, even though it might result in actual death, we know that we have the promise of eternal life and that death isn't the end for us. Um, but when things don't go that way, I was speaking with someone this week, and I'll keep the name because I didn't ask permission for the story, but sharing that her sister had died, and her sister, godly woman, had children who weren't. So this mother praying all of the time for her children that they would come to know the Lord, and when it came for her dying breath, for when she came to pass on for her to be with the Lord, her prayer was that her children would come to know and mom didn't get to see that. But at mom's funeral, the gospel message was presented, and all nine children heard that message at mom's funeral. And nine children turned and repented and had contrite hearts and turned back to God and came into the kingdom. And mom is in heaven. And scriptures say that when one sinner repents, all of heaven erupts in celebration with all of the angels. Here's nine of mom's kids who just came into heaven, and all of her kids are there. Mom was facing that furnace. I'm facing death. My children are here, right? The prayer, like, wouldn't it be the hope of your heart before you pass on that you would get to see your children and know? But she had faith in God. And there's situations where we just have to have faith in God that some things we might not see in our lifetime, some things we might not see the way that we think that we'll see them. But we have to trust that God is working through it. So if we refuse to bow down, we keep the faith, we can see God working at this point, when you're in the fire, who will be standing next to you? Well, we see that those three men were there, right? So again, keep those good friendships. Those same three men that kept integrity with the food, those same three men that kept the integrity with not bowing down were those same three men that were in the fire together. So get those friendships going. But there was another in the fire. There was another in the fire, and that's the thing that everything that we're facing in life, everything that we're facing in life, Scripture says that Jesus walked this life as a man so that he would know what all of the temptation was, that he would overcome it, right? He knows everything that we face as far as temptation goes. We can go to him with any trial that we're facing. He goes, yeah, I know what it's like to be rejected by people, right? I know what it's like to have people turn on you. I know what it's like to be tempted. Like, he hung out with prostitutes. He knows what kind of temptation would look like. He hung out with drunkards. He knows what temptation would look like, right? And he knows these things, but he never fell to them. So we can go to him when we're pressed in on that fire, and we can go to him and pray to him, God, I need your help. Jesus, I need the way of deliverance. And scripture says that wherever the temptation, God will provide the way for deliverance for us to get out of it. 
We can walk this life of faith in such a good and meaningful way because we know, not just in the fire, but at all times, God is with us. His Spirit is with us. See, the, this was before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on everybody. For everybody here who believes, who's received the Spirit, God is closer to us than anything else or anyone else could possibly be. He's Spirit to Spirit. Anything and everything that you're going through, God is there for you and what understands and is there. He's a good Father. <laughs> he is just such a good Father. All right. As we get to this last point, I'm going to have, ask the band to come up. And we're looking at better than Babylon's best. So what we see here is in this country of Babylon, this foreign nation, these men who didn't bow down, these men who are then being recognized by the king, right? It says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I wanted to make the point here is that what scripture reveals is that this earth is not our home, that people of faith are coming in hoping for a better country, is that it says that Jesus, by his death and his resurrection, was gathering unto himself a nation for himself, that we're citizens of heaven, that we walk around like foreigners here on this earth. So what I really wanted to bring in is like, yeah, we're going to live this life and we, we want to be able to like have some nice things and right, I'm not saying well, like walk a destitute life, but don't make the goal of your life to just get promoted here in America, to seek after the American dream and forget about integrity with God, to bow down to other things and just make like, oh man, get the promotions and seek after the things and be able to keep up with what the world is saying is a good thing because you know that everybody in Babylon's court who didn't follow after Yahweh is saying, man, look at them. They got promoted. That's really cool. And they're just there saying, we can't wait till we get out of this captivity. We're hoping for something better. We're hoping for something better. And what is better? See, as we talked about, and I said that we were going to come back to it, of those people who didn't see things happen in their lifetime, Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the hall of faith because we have all of these great men and women of faith. It's coming in by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. But then we get to verses 37 through 40. It says that there were some of these who walked by faith and they were stoned. They were sawed in two they were put to death by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and hid in caves and holes in the ground. This doesn't seem like a life that anybody that I know wants to live, other than the fact that the reason they were living this way is because they were keeping integrity with God and following after the life that God had for them. It says, these were all commended for their faith, yet they did not receive what was promised. God had planned something better for us so that together with us, they would be made perfect. There's, a, there's in there, it says, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. What's better than promotions and all of the worldly things that we could possibly seek after? See, Jesus says something about what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Jesus is offering us everlasting life, life of faith, a life of integrity, a life of love with one another, a life to see miraculous things happen. And even if they don't, we still have faith in a God who's amazing. But what could be better than all of the worldly things? 
is the life that Jesus is offering us, to be perfected in him, that we would be made perfect with all of these others. And that even though there can be a lifestyle that to others on the outside might look like a destitute life, might look like craziness, that why would you not take those opportunities? Why would you not live that way? Because the world was not worthy of them. My friends, as we gather and as I look at you and the ones that I know are believers, know that this world is not worthy of you. That you need to bow to no man, no statue, because we get to bow to God and that he will keep us safe. So as we look at fear of death, Jesus conquered death on the cross. As we look at fearless through the fire, I would say get away from the fear of the fire, but look at the fire as an opportunity to exercise faith and for God to show us what he's purifying in our lives and to be able to take joy in seeing what God is doing in the lives of those around us. I'm going to close in a word of prayer and the band can lead us. Heavenly Father, as we look at these men and the example that they've given, we know that they are who they are because you are who you are, Lord, that you revealed yourself to them in the law and in the prophets and through the history of the Jews and that they kept to that and they kept to you and that you kept to them, that they humbled themselves and you lifted them up, that they sought to be faithful, Lord, and you are ever more faithful, that you rescued them out of the fire. And I pray that for everybody here who's facing the fire this week, today, even now, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, that it's not by my words and not by human might or strength, Lord, but by the, it's the power of your spirit that you would bring renewing and restoration and deliverance in these situations. I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.